thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 128 of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever and was recorded on Friday, July 15th and made available for download Tuesday, July 19th over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Jeff. And I'm Tony. Well, what do we have this week, Tony? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, somebody's interested in Jupiter's newest moon. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover all the juicy bits from Star Citizen's monthly report, more barnacle and Thargoid chat from Elite Dangerous, details of why Descent Underground's bots are murdering people better than ever before, and we dive into the gameplay details on what we'll actually be doing in No Man's Sky. Next, we debate giving primitives space things, and finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, I have an announcement to make. Now, most of our eagle-eyed, or eagle-eared, listeners will know that when it comes to attendance records among the hosts, that the rankings are pretty clear. With his unbroken record, Jeff sits like a king on top of his throne, looking down on Tony, who's coming in a close second, and then me, trailing a very distant third, just making my way out of the washroom there. Uh, This is largely down to a number of factors. Work moving away, me moving house, some unexpected medical issues, Pokemon Go, just kidding on that one, totally. Uh, The list goes on. And as it's well established that I'm the most popular host on Guard Frequency by a survey of one, my own mother, in order to spare the audience continual heartbreak when they're not greeted by my sultry British tones, I have decided to take a step back from being a regular host on the show. Now, don't read too deeply into that at all. I'm still very much a part of Guard Frequency, and I will very much still be around. I'll still be editing the show with Mikey, writing the show with Ostron, and interacting with all you lovely people on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Yeah, sorry, you're not getting rid of me that easily. Speaking of our illustrious producer Ostron, though, he'll be taking my spot in the hangar as a regular host from episode 129 onwards. So I just want to quickly take this moment to thank each and every listener for putting up with my butchering of the great American language, my insistence on converting hull strength and shield ratings into the metric system, and for generally just being the best damn audience a podcaster could ever ask for. Uh, and as for my co-hosts here, f***ing winged Aww, you do care. I know. That's lovely. Well, I do want to share something with you, Lennon. I mean, uh, did you, this has been a discussion for a week or so, and, and, and Jeff and I, we, well, we planned a little party for you. Oh. Um, yeah, we, and so what I, what I did is uh, I want you to take a look at your uh, Google Hangouts now. Oh, geez. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and audience, uh, this will be the show art for this week, so you, you definitely won't want to miss it. It's a small, impromptu little get-together that I made right now, but... I just want you to know, Lennon, that, uh, you know, thanks, man. And we're happy to still have you around, but we'll miss your voice every week. That's amazing. Thanks, Lennon. And you're welcome, Ben, First First Problem Sanders, who has a tight schedule this weekend and can't do much show art. There's your show art, Ben. So, you know, just trying to keep things efficient, keeping the wheels of production moving. So, (laughs) Well, that that takes care of the housekeeping. Ding dong, the Brit is gone. Um, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. <laughs> Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, 
Crypto, crypto, this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Um, I've been asked to read a statement from the Defense Ministry of the People's Sovereign Republic of Jupiter. <clears throat> well, Earthlings, you've done it again. You've hurled a chunk of metal and plastic millions of miles through the deep black at a swirling ball of gas and radiation in intense magnetic fields. And what have you got to show for it? A few grainy pictures. Jupiter laughs at your puny efforts. But I hope you're satisfied. Juno, an 8,000-pound multi-instrument platform built for poking your human noses into other planets' business, was launched in 2011 and settled into a polar orbit around Jupiter on your Colonial Regovernance Day in 2016. Nice try, Yankees, timing that orbital maneuver when everyone in your America country was dodging explosions. The interplanetary interloper will spend 20 months trespassing on sovereign Jupiterian space and spy on its weather and atmosphere while timidly avoiding the massive planet's deadly radiation belts and magnetic fields. Go brave or go home, satellite. Sure, the Juno satellite will try to get a good look at mighty Jupiter's frightening visage, but it dare come no closer than 2,600 of your miles. Ha! Well... Uh, that certainly sounds serious. We here at Guard Frequency will keep a close eye on further developments. But in our defense, NASA scientists are quite excited about the wealth of data that the probe will beam back over the course of its 37 orbits. While the first eight orbits are spoken for, later investigations are up for grabs. On those later orbits, Juno will continue with its polar mapping mission. However, allocation of instrument time will also be open to the will of the people, presumably via some sort of internet poll. So, um... I'm just going to go ahead and make a prediction now. The internet will probably vote to shift Juno's attention from Jupiter's poles to Uranus's moons. Oh, there's a joke in there. I know it. <laughs> the internet being what the internet is, I just thought I'd beat it to the punch. Actually, I think there's going to be a predetermined number of things to choose from. Although I believe a robust write-in campaign would be possible. Well, I, I was just, I was just binding. I was just thinking how ironic it is that uh, Juno is inserting into Jupiter instead of the other way around. <laughs> yeah, there's a joke about that. Go ahead, Lennon. This was your joke. Oh yeah. So um, obviously Jupiter is named after the god, and all of the moons of Jupiter are named after the various mistresses. And NASA decided to make Juno, which uh, in mythology was Jupiter's wife. And they've sent Juno to go and just check up on Jupiter. So somebody at NASA spent a long time planning that joke, and I think only about yeah. four people in the entire world got it. Well, four plus the three of us yeah, plus, plus our eight listeners. Yeah. Do we have we have got we've got a total of eight now, aren't it? Pretty at much least close to eight. eight yeah at least eight yeah so uh all eight of you out there now also are in on that cosmic joke no this is uh, exciting i mean as far as i know but the, this may be the last one out there now to sort of arrive there's a europa mission that's pretty much set to go it's not built yet but it's been committed to so jupiter's going to get a lot of science in done yeah, the one thing that I don't really have much faith in, though, is this whole internet poll thing, like you said. Uh, knowing what the internet yeah. are like, we're going to end up having to rename Jupiter to Planet like Planet Face, and then we're going to sure. have to <laughs> send David Attenborough to space. Uh -huh. I think that's how it works. Yes, I think I think we're legally bound. Yeah, I, I thought they were going to classify it as a star or something, you know, that Jupiter was too big to be a planet. Right, yeah, like Pluto's too More small to be, to be a planet right. now. Right, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like a sub-star. Jupiter's no longer a planet, it's a sub-star. Uh, well, you know, time will tell on that one. 
Well, have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. Speed 175, Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for July 15, 2016, 117,354,000, up about 200,000. 1.412 million registered accounts, up about 4,000. And 1.026 million ships in the UEE fleet, up about 1,700. Well, there haven't been any major in-game updates from Star Citizen this week, but there is a good amount of activity going on inside the Alpha. First, our security-conscious listeners will be pleased to hear that multi-factor authentication is now live and configurable from your MyRSI security settings. The associated app is available for iOS and Android, and it's compatible with major security management apps such as Authy. The Jeff improvement, as we're calling it here at Guard Frequency, has also gone live. According to the Austin devs, when updating a game, the downloads will only include the metadata and the new files, rather than a re-download of the entire game. The devs estimate this will reduce the download size from 900 gigabytes to 1 gigabyte or so for the average user. As far as in-game features, apparently cargo transport with the associated piracy thereof and mining will be the first non-combat occupations that are put in the game. They note, however, that the mining mechanic will probably arrive before any of the associated ships, so initial efforts at mining are going to be messy and time-consuming. CIG's monthly report dropped last week, but arrived too late for consumption prior to the show. As a favor to all of you who are too lazy to try to parse through it yourselves this past week, here are the highlights. LA is focusing mostly on new item system and all of the bugs and features that come along with it. While Art is designing a Macy's worth of clothes for characters, Kalex has apparently finished designs for the tractor beam system featured on the Caterpillar. We suspect that the design post or ATV feature will be coming soon, trademark. Austin is mostly patting itself on the back for getting persistence into the verse, but they're also spearheading most of the features we talked about a moment ago. So nobody's resting on laurels. UK has finished up working on the concept art for a smaller ship that they didn't name, but almost certainly the Argo. They say there are only a few rooms left in the Idris that aren't done yet. The engineering section of the report went into some detail about the network issues they're experiencing with Cry Network. So those of you who want to know exactly what problems they're having might want to check there. Germany had some very long descriptions of details for their work in subsumption AI programming and animation, but buried in their report was a very interesting nugget. The Levski landing zone will not be located in Nix. It is currently being refactored so it can be dropped into Stanton and be located on one of the planets there. Behavior was just mostly backing up the other offices, and Turbulent was spending all of their time testing and releasing the multi-factor authentication feature. While addressing the hybrid pygmy elephant gorilla in the room, Guard Frequency is aware that uh, Backer recently got the LA District Attorney, the FTC, and LA Department of Consumer and Business Affairs on, uh, on the phone and uh, successfully received a refund from CIG in the low thousands of dollar range. Subsequently, PC Gamer News and The Escapist reported on it, and it's all resulted in the DCBA opening a file on CIG. I have confirmed this myself personally. Amy from the Counseling Center of the Los Angeles County Department of Consumer and Business Affairs confirmed to me that the agency has investigated Cloud Imperium Games with respect to its refund policy recently. She invited me to visit their website and lodge a complaint if I had one. She stated that it didn't matter if I was an L.A. County resident or not. 
She also stated that depending on the number and dollar volume of complaints and depending on the company's response to the agency's inquiries, it would be handled either by the agency internally or forwarded to the L.A. District Attorney's Office for further inquiry. Now, I'm hoping you'll be able to help me out here because, you know, I'm a foreigner and I I totally understood what all of that was last bit was about but um i've got a friend here who's a little bit in the dark and so could you just elaborate a little more on what that exactly means for your friend yeah for, for, for my your friend. friend no i'm, I'm totally for your cool friend. With it, absolutely but, yeah absolutely yeah so essentially you know in america uh, lennon over here the country that that violently overthrew the queen i mean normally i think in your country you just all petition the queen i, I think it was a king you go to at her the time. take off your hat what's that i think it was a king at the time Okay. Yeah, but now she's got a queen. I think you just go in there in your sackcloth and and you take off your straw hat and and beg the queen to to administer justice. I think that's how that works. Yeah, yeah, you've got a spot on that. I thought so. Well, here in in Merca, there are a variety of different consumer affairs agencies. Some are federal, like the FTC. Some are state level, and usually every state has an attorney general division devoted to some sort of consumer protection. And some localities, like Los Angeles County, even have a local division of consumer affairs. CIG's headquarters, uh, of course, in Santa Monica would be under the jurisdiction of the Los Angeles County Department of Consumer and Business Affairs. That agency confirmed to me via the phone that they have received uh, complaints recently and they did in fact investigate and follow up on them. So this isn't some sort of, you know, guy on the internet saying things aren't true. I called them directly and they confirmed it. The other piece of this that I did not confirm directly, but based on the confirmation from L.A. County, seems legit. And based on the uh, letter that was included in the post on PC Gamer News, the California AG is also in on it, too. Ortwin, with his usual manner, I shall say no more on that, wrote a letter back to the uh, AG's office responding to their inquiry based on this customer's complaint. And first off, gently corrected the AG for writing the letter to the wrong company. The AG addressed Cloud Imperium Games, and Ortwin said, no, you really mean RSI, which, of course, is only true in the most recent terms of service change. That's strike one. Strike two is he essentially quoted the terms of service, the new terms of service, which the backer customer specifically said, I did not accept those new terms of service under the old terms of service. This is what's going on. So that's strike two. Strike three He then went on to say, even though the guy doesn't deserve a refund, we'll just satisfy his complaint, send him on his way, please consider this matter closed, we'll make it right, signed Ortwin. The backer then proceeded to get a refund for less than the full amount of what he had given CIG. That prompted the follow-up with the L.A. County people. The customer got the rest of his money after the inquiry from L.A. County. And so essentially what has happened is a customer service problem escalated to an attorney general letter, which escalated into an inquiry action at the L.A. County level. Now, if you don't think that all these people are talking to each other, you're wrong. You don't get to tell the California attorney general, yeah, we'll take care of it, then not take care of it, then get a phone call from a follow-up agency at another jurisdiction level, and these people not communicate with each other. This could have been handled and done and over with, but now you've got two separate government entities involved. I'm a little bit furious right now, but I'm not so furious that I want to keep talking about it because I have come to expect nothing less. So with the recent terms of service update that kind of included that they also moved their primary operation over to the UK, didn't they? Because we, yeah. I think we addressed that recently, yeah. that they weren't filing in 
Texas, I think it was, or somewhere like that. Does this mean then that actually the LA district attorney and and that lot, that they're actually powerless because they're not actually a US company anymore? Not so. Not so. The fact that they run operations and have a presence here in the United States makes them liable. Right, okay. Yeah, there's something in uh, in U.S. law, it's a little, we have something that we have to do called the long arm statutes. Basically, if you try to do business in a state, the states will attempt to assert jurisdiction on you no matter where you claim as home base. Gotcha. Uh, There's an entire body of law devoted to jurisdictional issues and this sort of stuff. The bottom line of it, though, is that L.A. County includes Santa Monica. Santa Monica is where CIG has a building and an address and it gets its mail there. The L.A. County is going to claim jurisdiction over, over these issues. You can try to shield yourself corporately, and it can be effective depending on the exact terms of the contract and, and who the contracting parties are you can make the government jump through those hoops to try to assert jurisdiction over you. And that can be a defense. It can be a defense tactic. But that's the problem. Why do you need a defense tactic? Right. Okay, yeah. It just, it it looks bad, right? And then you get a complaint and the very first sentence you write down on the paper is, you got the wrong guy. Well, it's our publishing arm. I'll go ahead and answer for him anyway. But you're not talking to the right people, but I'll go ahead out of the goodness of my heart and go ahead and deal with this. The guy's got the contract all wrong. You know, it's not even the right contract. But you know what? You know what? We're just good people, so we're just going to take care of this. We're just going to take care of it as a customer issue. Consider the matter. Yeah, you know, we're done. We're done. It's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. Be your pretty little head about it anymore. It'll be fine. Right. Okay. okay. Only it's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, if it's happened once and they are or have been investigated, whatever the current state of that is, I'm pretty certain that this is going to come up again. So no doubt we will uh, Actually, cover I, don't, it. I don't think so. I, I think... You don't reckon? I No. I, I, you don't think so? I think that, uh, first of all, the person that responded is probably his head is on the floor right now. No, Ortwin. This is Ortwin Freyermuth, well, half of I, CIG. Yeah, I, I get that. But if I were Chris, I would have either not only fired him on the spot after reading those responses, or at least removed him from the position of, of ever responding to something like that again. I don't know if that's possible. Well, I think it can be, or it should be possible. Uh, you know what, Jeff? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And this discussion you and I are having is just furthering of the point is that as backers, we are not entitled to know what the internal structure right. of CIG RSI is. We can only speculate and glean information from publicly filed documents, letters that get posted. We don't have what, oh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? A full accounting? Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. it. A full accounting of what's going on. And, and, and I don't really want one, but to let this happen a second time, is very, very poor management, and you can't do business like that and remain respected even among the uh, among so many you know uh, fanboys. I'd, I'd like to complain more about this. I'd like to, I, Lennon. You don't even need to get the soapbox out. Right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm out of energy. I'm I'm out of energy for this. It's just this has become the most disappointing part of this whole latest thing is that I've come to expect nothing else. Well, I gotta say, except for maybe Chris and maybe one or two other people there. Nobody's probably had very much corporate experience before, especially large corporate experience. Jeff, you you are a, you are a saint and uh, a, a beacon of, of of optimism and positivity. But as a lawyer, you really ought to know better than to be less than fully truthful with the attorney general's office. I, I know that. I know that very I, well. 
there is a <laughs> there is a higher standard here. And I, you know, maybe maybe there's miscommunication internally. You know, maybe he said send him a refund, and he just refunded like the pledge amount, maybe, and not some uh, maybe uh, not a subscription, or maybe not the add-ons or something else. It was just the initial pledge, maybe. Maybe there's some miscommunication. There could be legitimate explanations for why he told the attorney general one thing, and the result was did not match. That there's a number of innocent explanations for that. However, I would expect in the extremely near future that to be addressed publicly, that discrepancy be addressed publicly. An error, a clerical mistake, uh, a miscommunication internally with the customer service department, whatever. I would expect that to be addressed immediately and publicly and copied to the attorney general's office. Oops, our bad. <laughs> yeah. Won't happen again. We promise. Okay, so just going back over the other changes that were made, uh, multi-factor authentication. I'm quite pleased that they've rolled this out relatively early in the game's release. I think that this is a good move by them. Especially no, no Windows use, app. You know, hey, uh, it's, no not, it's not good for me until they got a Windows app. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I mean, you are in, like, the incredibly slim minority of, like, seven people. That hey, you know, there. we have an audience of seven. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, okay, I can I can see that. But for the vast majority of the people who use iOS and Android, it's a good thing. And I think the other thing with Windows Phone users as well, Jeff, technically, as I, in the literal sense of the word technically, I was going to say technically, you know what you're doing. That made it sound like I was taking the piss. I actually meant, you know, you are good with technology. He, you, he does what he's doing. Exactly, you know what you're doing. You're not the kind of guy who's likely to uh, use the same password for more than one service or accidentally have it leaked or that sort of thing. So I, oh, I feel Oh, that's that, why um, I got hacked. Okay. <laughs> yes, right. You know what? I take it all back. Uh, CIG, if you're listening, we need <laughs> two-factor authentication for Windows. But no, I, I feel that um, with with how, you know, obviously cybercrime is just on the increase anyway. A multi-factor authentication app being built into the client this early actually shows a lot of forethinking. So I'm pleased about that. I've yet to enable it on my account, but it's going to be done pretty much this afternoon. So. Especially given the history of the gray market, I know recently the terms of service have changed to, you know, tighten that down. But it it was accepted practice for a while to be able to trade stuff. Yeah. Um, and so having an extra security on account is, is an important thing to do, uh, especially for people who've spent lots and lots of money on the game. Having to track down unauthorized access uh, and prove that it was unauthorized access would be a huge headache. That two-factor identification goes a long way to preventing that. Well, I'm, I'm just glad it's nothing like um, Star Wars Galaxy's security key fob thing that I got here in my hand that always wonder if that battery's ever going to run out. Oh, well, you know, the server's going to shut down anyway, Jeff, at some point. <laughs> so it's a race. Does your battery run out before the server shuts down? Yeah. Let's watch. This could be a very long race. I... I'm going to vote we move on with the news. <laughs> okay, let's do that. Signs and portents abound in Elite Dangerous this week. Further game updates are still in the works, including additional balance passes for release 2.1 and more teasers for 2.2 and beyond. In the meantime, commanders continue trying to unravel the mysteries of alien artifacts and structures around the galaxy. An Imperial-aligned community goal out of Bauschinger City in the Bava system has pilots gathering exploration data towards the discovery of additional barnacle sites. A number of player-driven efforts have focused on exploring nebulae, 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 for these alien structures, which have so far been found in the Pleiades and the California nebulas, with unsubstantiated reports from the Sol Nebula as well. Recently, as featured in this week's newsletter, a number of tip-off distress signals, usually arriving in commander's inboxes while pursuing other missions, have hinted at unknown anomalies, strange noises, and enemy ships thought to be mere myth. 
Whether these point towards the Thargoids or some other alien menace is yet unknown. But Koresh, a streamer and community moderator, claims to have found an alien crash site point of interest as a result of these tip-offs. So far, he hasn't yet provided a location or screenshots as proof, but says the data is there, and he wants someone else to find it on their own. UFO hoax, or is the truth really out there? Oh, man. See, we can't even escape alien conspiracies in video games. I mean, seriously, come on. And we're supposed to find aliens in, in spaceship games. But now we have to do alien conspiracies there? I mean, hello. Just have them invade us or something. But that's what makes it fun. You know, having the pursuit, the uh, discovery, the uncovering of all the knowledge. I'll, I'll tell you, their sort of found mission system is is pretty good. Yeah, I have I've had minor experience with it. Basically, you're you're doing other things, and you get a hail that says, "Hey, nearby, there's reports of missing." persons i think the one that i had was uh kidnapped victims or slaves or something like that i had to go uh, rescue some escape pods or something so it, it helps bring the universe to life a little more and if they're gonna evolve the story of the elite universe this way i i think that's a pretty fun way to do it because you're just randomly encountering something that could be dangerous could be boring you don't know you better go check it out and I also think that developing it in this way, like like you were saying, it, it really sort of helps flesh it out, uh, the, the story and the unveiling. But the fact that it's happening live and these people are actually discovering this really leads to uh, a sense of a living universe. You know, it's like it feels like there is a lot more going on here than we are actually aware of. And we're only just on the cusp of trying to figure it all out, which is I, I think it kind of harkens back to what made space exploration in the 60s you know the, the really exciting thing that it was we were right on the cusp of knowing what was out there and we were just taking those baby steps into actually you know putting the first man on the moon and then building the international space station and all this sort of stuff and so to be able to unveil and control you know because obviously frontier kind of know where they're going with this but being able to control the flow of information and to release it in such a way that it feels natural and organic and really gives that sense of fun and discovery that you you get when you're just dealing with space in real life let alone in video games uh, it's it's a very very good way of doing it and it really helps make the universe feel like it's a living breathing universe i'll tell you what i like about it is is because um you know frontier is set in a universe where man has gone out among the stars has has colonized many groups of uh, planets have established themselves in a political system i mean these are hundreds of years old and and you know they're they've got you know, well-established economies and, and, you know, they got their own, you know, kind of microchasm, you know, lives going on and they think, and all of a sudden this happens and now they're not feeling as, and, and, and all of this is just a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the entire universe. The vast majority of players can ignore all this stuff and just not even care what's going on. Do your little cargo hauling, you know, go capture your bounties, whatever. And just ignore all this. But if you want to play it, you can. And that's kind of like real life. There's a lot of people that uh, are not following Brexit. Uh, tonight, uh, you know, there was an attempted coup in Turkey. Just as we, I just apparently stopped just right before we started recording this. I mean, but 90% of people don't even know. And that's that is another feature of this of this type of storytelling through the uh, found mission mechanic that I think is is compelling. Yeah, totally. I mean, the fact that not everybody 
is aware of it until either a major discovery gets made, like, oh, I can suddenly start the game as an alien race or you know something like major like that um but anybody who does want to keep up with the the latest goings on can tune into those channels and get all that information fear not intrepid tunnel dwellers the people making descent underground have not employed skynet or hal or any other homicidal ai to assist with the programming the big news of the week is that descendant studios team have officially announced that they are now working with a certain moon collider to integrate the kythera ai library into descent underground if the name sounds familiar it is likely because they are the same third-party ai solution used by the cig team on star citizen this announcement explains the ai buffing news blurbs we've been hearing about for the last couple couple of months. The Descent Underground team is hoping to provide a level of gameplay that is truly challenging to all skill levels, or in other words, this game will be hard. In other development news, more medals are on the way, making 21 in total. For those who like an achievement pat on the back, these will provide something new to strive for. All nine ships promised in the Kickstarter are now in the Proving Grounds, but many of the features and weapons are still being worked on. Things like the deployable turrets and the ship job mechanics are next on the development block to flesh out the mining-based team-centric gameplay. The team also reminds us on their weekly show, Wingman Tanger, that the single-player story mode and metagame are still on their way and are still very much being worked on. Lennon, you did a great job with that. I'd like to give you the pat on the back achievement. Go ahead, Mikey. Well done. Well done. Achievement. Pat on the back achievement. Yep. Mm-hmm. You still got twenty to go. Oh, okay. Uh, so, but it's too bad this is your last show, your last regular show. Yeah. You're just all those achievement things will be blank. So you're gonna have to come back at some point. I will to, do. To keep filling that up. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good to hear. Speaking of achievements, you start to stack milestones uh, as you ramp up towards release, and you start you know those check boxes that you can share with the public start to get more and more frequent. For a while, we didn't cover Descent every week. There wasn't always something to say about Descent every week, but it seems like as we progress along in the year, there's stuff happening with the game itself that another item gets punched in or another uh, uh, another mechanic gets punched in or they've had the time and space to work on a separate subsystem and that gets you know punched in. So I, it's it's really heartening to see that, that, start, that, that curve start to tilt northward. Mm. Uh, in the in the uh, accomplishments of, uh, of the game. I can just see it now. <sighs> Thank you for joining us on the 5,128th show and Lennon just earned his 21st achievement. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know Lennon doesn't care about the achievements. We know oh, that. Yeah. It's just, it's not a thing for him. No, achievement hunting is not high on my list of things to do. Yeah, but no, I, I completely agree. Um, it has gone from a, you know, some weeks it was almost like a repeat on news because the first time it would be like, oh, we've just developed this. And then the second week was we've now released this to the community. Mm-hmm. But now it seems as if, yeah, each each week we're getting more and more big juicy bits going in. Uh, things like, you know, the, the this week with the Kythera AI library. That's huge. It means that the AI is going to be an actual formidable opponent. I think Moon Collider makes some of the best artificial intelligence libraries around. And not just, you know, because they were picked up by CRG or anything like that, but actually looking into it and how they developed it and the the sort of uh, decisions that they've been able to make the computer make about what what it needs to do, where it needs to go, when it needs to attack, when it needs to defend. It is a, a really... 
high-class library, and just knowing that Descent Underground will get this, will it, it's just going to help the, again the game seem more alive. You know, there's always the thing whenever you're fighting against bots, it never feels as real as when you're fighting against other people. But this is pretty much as close as we're able to get with the Kythera AI. So even if you're not one for teaming up with friends or going versus other people, you're still going to get one of the best possible experiences from that. Are you quitting because Kythera hired you? Oh, I wish. <laughs> no, if if I well, they ought to. The thing is, I think they're a level of genius above what I'm capable of, which isn't much. Yeah, but to you be could fair. market for them. You could totally market for them. You've got the British voice, so people will believe you no matter what you say. Well, I think they're so, they're British themselves, are they not? From I know, but that's why they could hire you to be the PR guy. Right. They, they yes. say, you're instantly credible, sir. Thank you for for applying. Yes, you've you've checked off our first checkbox. Sounds smart. Yes, very good. Very good, sir. <laughs> As mentioned in news last week, No Man's Sky has recently gone gold, and articles, impressions, and trailers are flooding the interwebs ahead of the August 8th release date. However, even some people who have followed the development for a little while are still a little fuzzy on how exactly the game works and what kind of a game it is. A helpful article from PC Gamer gave a good summary of what mechanics and gameplay elements we can expect, so most of this is stolen from there. Uh, I, th- I think we opted to use the word inspired because inspired, bad. being yes, inspired we by things is fine. Though. We were inspired by that coverage. We were, Thanks. We were yes. very much inspired by it. So, yes, mm-hmm. first, one of the most touted facts of the game is the universe size. This game has almost 18 and a half quintillion procedurally generated planets. Now, just to kind of put that into perspective, if you grab a piece of paper, uh, we'll, we'll wait, you know, just find yourself a pen or a pencil or a, a quill, if you're British, and put a one, and now put a zero next to it, and now do that 17 more times for a total of 18 zeros. That's how many procedurally generated planets are. And even if every player devoted themselves to exploring them as fast as possible, the heat death of the real universe would still come first. That's the next point, by the way. All the players of the game will be playing in the same universe. However, your chances of encountering another player are at best minuscule. Plus, the game is not really built around multiplayer interaction to the point that even if you do find another player, there'll be no explicit in-game callouts identifying the avatar or ship as a non-AI entity. You can have a friends list and get a marker of where they are in the game, but chances are they will be multiple thousands of light years away from your position. As far as what the game is built to do, all the players are still exploring in the same universe, so items and locations discovered by you are not only grant you money, you can also name them. And, on the off chance that any other player arrives there, they will see your designation for the item or creature, thanks to the information being shared in an online database. The full game can still be played offline. Players with slow or intermittent internet will simply receive the universe naming database updates when the connection is available. The devs are quick to stress that this is not a walking simulator in space. In addition to discovering new life forms and locations, there are on-planet and stellar mining mechanics as well as trading and crafting that allow you to make money. The money lets you upgrade or buy new ships or improve your spacesuit to survive in new hostile environments. Interactions with alien species will be tricky at first because they all have their own language, which you have to learn through familiarity or lucky discovery of information tomes. Ultimately, there is no real story that directs players' actions. There is the general goal of getting to the centre of the universe, but no AI grieving in a ruined city or far-flung federation is going to pull you aside and tell you that you get to go there for X reason. There are a lot of connected lore pieces you can discover that add flavour to the universe, but most of your missions are going to be self-directed, because there are no traditional quest-givers littered around either. On a practical note, the game will be a 6 
gig download and priced at $60 US. Devs say that there is no planned DLC, but they are committed to doing updates. In fact, they've already worked on the first one. Although whether it's the so-called day one patch, or if it's designed to come out sometime after release is still unknown. Well, I don't know about this. What do you mean? I, well, I don't know if I'm more excited for this or now I'm a little more scared. Why? Typically, I kind of like a little bit of theme park in my sandbox, right? I mean, it took me a while to get comfortable in Elite because it is all sandbox there now, right? They're stirring yeah. in a little theme park as time goes on. And I sort of got that once I figured out that, well, the, the game is still a work in progress and we're going along with it as it, as it improves. I, I understood that. They're telling me straight up, you're never going to see another random person by chance. If you do, you won't know it's an actual person. You might come along a, a, a place where somebody's already been if you see their names, but probably that's not going to happen. Oh, and by the way, once you get in there, uh, good luck. There's nobody there to give you directions or hints or clues or even, like, things to do. You're just there. Have fun. I'm like, that's, like, all sandbox. Okay, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. Personally, I'm quite excited for it. The fact that we aren't forced down a preset path means that you can play literally however you like. And the fact that you're not likely to bump into somebody means that if you are the type of player who wants to, uh, I don't know, you visit your first five planets and you decide to set up a major mining operation and um, you, you're just happy for the time being at least uh, crafting and making your way through the trade you're not going to have a random griefer show up and just completely plow through everything you've done and then take off and just leave your gameplay in ruins which is one of the, the reasons why um, you know it's, it would be like trying to uh, set yourself up on, on Minecraft to make a, a really nice house on a PvP enabled server you know it's just that kind of thing just ruins the fun for a lot of people but talking of minecraft that's probably the best example of a sandbox game that we've got you know there there isn't a quest system there there's just the world you just go at it have fun and whilst i don't think this is obviously you know as as uh the crafting system at the moment as far as from what we can tell isn't anywhere near as like in depth as what minecraft has i'm sure that a lot of emergent gameplay that comes out of this game will actually be incredibly fun and i'm sure that once everybody gets in the cockpit and they can do whatever the uh, natural drive to explore and to go out and find everything you can and to you know uncover all the secrets of all these various civilizations and, and planets that you encounter that i think that that drive will be incredibly high and so i can see that those who really don't like the sandbox will probably you know the game comes out it's going to be popular because it's a new release and those that don't really like the sandbox will sort of trail off but i think among those who do like the sandbox this is going to see a very hardcore following for many years I love space sims. This is not one that's on my bucket list, and I and I don't I can't really nail down the reason why. I I, I think it's a lot of little factors, you know. So I I I log into the game for the very first time. I I obviously have a ship, and I point my nose to the second star to the right, and and travel for days, and then I start exploring. Nobody's around me, and I'm supposed to build and craft and trade with whom? Whom am I trading with? NPCs. They, they, I mean, they, I've seen some gameplay footage and the interface is, is, is well thought out. I mean, it's not hard to uh, at least in the demo that I saw, it's not hard to locate a vendor. It will be hard to trade effectively with that vendor at first because you have to learn his language and learn how to communicate with him and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be 
there's going to be a learning curve there, much like Elite, to figure out how to do some of the basic game mechanics that you kind of take for granted in your typical MMO. But I think that's going to be, I think that's part of the sales pitch is that we're going to drop you in here and you've got to learn how to succeed and then excel in this world. And we're going to keep you away from other player interference. Like Lennon said, there won't be any griefers around for you noobs. Take your time to figure it out and uh, and, and learn from the game itself. You know, and I think that's fascinating. I think it's an interesting idea and a good and a, and a fun mechanic. It's, I think, different than anything that's ever come before and something to be said for being bold. You know, so was the Oregon Trail, but I don't play that game anymore since, well, since the late 80s. I, yeah, interesting point. Oh, I, I like that. I like that comparison because that was almost a genre-defining sort of right. thing. Yeah, and I wonder if No Man's Sky is going to be like. Remember back in 2016 when you got your first copy of No Man's Sky and you loaded it up and it was like awesome, but then you sort of like didn't play it again for a while until you remembered you had it on your hard drive when you uh, replaced your hard drive and it downloaded it in your folder. And you're like, oh, I haven't fired that up for a while. I don't know if I agree with you, Lennon. I don't know if there's going to be like a, a hardcore following, but it seems to me like the more likely thing is there's going to be a lot of people that drift in and out of it. I think it's going to be, it might be one of those games that sort of everybody does computer games, grabs and picks up, and everybody comes in and out of it every once in a while for nostalgia or whatever. But I think, I, I anticipate that people are going to learn about how people play computer games and interact with a universe, a procedurally gener- generated universe like this, and then steal all their good ideas, and then add a little narrative if that's what it needs, or shrink the sandbox a little if that's what it needs. And, and I'm still trying to figure out what they're trying to be. Are they a second life in space, or no. you know, entropia? Uh, you know, I don't I, think they're trying to be anything except themselves, and that's why that's why I'm having a hard time with it, and that's why I really think it's going to be an Oregon Trail sort of a game. Because other games did things like it, you know, choose-your-own-adventure-y type right. things. But Oregon Trail kind of defined the, I don't know, it's like it's almost like that was the prototype rogue game, right? The prototype roguelike game. Right. You know, it's like, you know, you had you know you had to get to Oregon, right? I mean, that you, you had to go there. Now, the, depending on your choices as far as initial supplies and, and what you chose to do at the ford, you know, at the, at the river and at the, yeah, the Indian right. or whatever, all the things were you you went on a certain path but your path was guided here there is zero path but and zero guidance the mechanics of yeah. It, yeah zero path and zero guidance but they appear from what i've seen to have a lot of well-defined mechanics and so your your job when you first get in there is to learn how to accomplish these tasks trading and mining and flight and navigation and hyperdrives and upgrading and you know but then what you do with it is totally up to you it's sort of the opposite of the roguelike game where you're on more or less a railroad path. The railroad path can diverge, you know, but at some point you're going to come to the end. Now, they say you can go to the center of the universe here, but that's not necessarily the end. And God even knows if anybody's going to make it there with 18 quintillion planets to go through. So it's it, it seems to me it's almost the opposite of Oregon Trail in some ways, but very similar, very analogous to a genre-defining type of game that... Nobody really plays anymore, but everybody has fired up at least once. Yeah, when you say Oregon Trail, everybody knows what you're talking about. I, you know, they, you know, it was popular when it first came out. It was a top-selling game. I mean, it was, you know, schools used it to, to teach with. I mean, I, I just, I, I, like I said, it's not on my bucket list of, of space games to get, but uh, I'll keep an eye on it. But now it's time for news we didn't use. 
Unfortunately, Infinity Battlescape's devs miscalculated the efforts required to fix difficulties introduced by Microsoft's DevTools update. So the latest update to the game will be a teeny bit later than they hoped. Elite's dangerous games have ended and the Russian consortium EG Pilots has won. Their prize, they will become an in-game power play faction. Again in Infinity Land, capital ships have had their turrets placeholdered, that is a real word I swear, and the devs have made great progress on the interior of the cockpits and the exterior for the hauler. Friday kicked off another free fly week for Star Citizen. This one features access to the Mustang Beta, the Sabre, and the F7C Hornet. One of the most memorable things to come out of Star Trek was the Prime Directive. Basically, if you find a species that can't travel in interstellar space, leave them alone and let them figure it out for themselves. Many space sims never directly address this concept, as any aliens you encounter are already spacefaring and usually cranky. However, CIG has introduced a non-interference policy as part of the UEE, along with some examples of primitive life that shouldn't be bothered. In general, space sims with primitive aliens only offer a binary choice. You either leave them alone, or you have to engage in wholesale slaughter and plunder. The third option on the table has largely been the purview of so-called 4X games. Many of the galaxy-spanning ones leave undeveloped races for you to discover and give you an option of uplifting them to help out with your empire. The question is whether this gameplay is viable or even fun in space sims. Should there be gameplay that allows you to assist the primitive life into becoming more of a galactic presence with all the moral and ethical quandaries that it presents? Or is the current kill em or keep people away gameplay providing enough moral intrigue without detracting from the more interesting gameplay? Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us the uplifting as a game mechanic. Lennon vocally questions the virtue of forcing children to learn in schools rather than by experience, while Tony has been known to try to teach his cats how to code in C++. So Tony, why do games need to incorporate advancement of primitive societies as a mechanic? Well Jeff, games need to have as many choices as possible. You need to have as many different types of gameplay as possible, and the more immersive and deep you can get a player into the game, the better. A mechanic to improve the lot of a primitive species helps you advance their tech tree, so to speak, gives you more opportunity to gain resources through another route, and it actually provides another gameplay experience that other people can try to counter. And Lennon? Tony, you ignorant slut. Using another species in a game in such an exploitative manner to advance their tech tree and give you resources is just immoral. And... The best thing about space sims and indeed about ex space exploration in general is that it really allows us to shine, to bring out the best in humanity. Like Gene Roddenberry's vision, we shouldn't be stuck with this earthbounded nature that we currently have. We should strive for a utopia that is inclusive and... And Tony? Oh, Lennon, I take your criticism with an open heart, seeing as how it's the last time you'll call me that on the air. But to your point, the assumptions underneath the Prime Directive is that anything that we do to a species is bad. And in a game environment, the mechanics of the game allow you to very clearly separate good and bad. You can program in consequences for player actions. 
You can have reputations, you can have bonuses, you can have penalties, and so the game mechanics as a whole can either punish or reward certain player choices with respect to those developing species. And Lennon, your rebuttal. Tony, once again, you ignorant slut. Not for the last time, I feel I should add. Even though you can program in good versus bad, isn't there enough bad in the universe anyway? Humans are usually constantly at war, and the amount of griefing that goes on in games is just points to that being the essential human nature, is that everything goes warlike. Why would you want to uplift an innocent species that's probably totally capable of annihilating itself up onto the galactic stage only to then later get them involved into these massive wars it's not only a bad choice in terms of black and white good and bad but it's also the immoral choice they should be left alone to develop i'm going to have to side with london on this one it is this moderator's opinion that that people generally tend to behave one way in real life and another way in the game life i have been gaming for a very very long time and I know that there are, there are far more many people out there that take advantage or grief or somehow are just bad because they can get away with it. These kinds of situations that would normally not happen in the real world. You know, uh, we're right. We are a warmongering species. We strive for conflict and we try to, to better ourselves to be above that. And I think that things like the Prime Directive is a very good reminder of what we strive to be. I can't uh, sort of argue with the whole, you know, people can suck uh, thesis. I'm, I'm not, I, there's plenty of evidence happening even this week uh, in, in the real world events that um, would be a difficult uh, a case to defend at this point. But I think the fun that surrounds the Prime Directive and the non-interference with the UEE, and the search for alien life in Elite Dangerous, and the naming of various flora and fauna in No Man's Sky that in the mechanics we've seen. I think part of that is making people think about it and decide. Is the short-term gain that I receive from doing something exploitive or destructive to this non-spacefaring creature, does that outweigh the long-term costs to either me or to the creature itself or to the galactic ecosystem or whatever? I think that having to make that calculation is part of the, I'm going to call it fun, of the space sim, but also why that storyline idea, promulgated back in the 60s, resonates so far into the future and, and it becomes, you know, almost a, it becomes a trope in various settings for this. Let the people who haven't had a chance to come up and struggle with these ideas struggle with them themselves and then once they've figured some stuff out basically and achieved a basic level of technology welcome to the big leagues now you get to play with the rest of us but you got to stop and think for a second isn't that maybe also a little bit exploitive you know once you've got a warp drive haha now you're fair game you know now we can engage in trade with you and now you're subject to whatever you know intergalactic pressures there are and what about those other galactic empires that don't exactly adhere to that I mean do you actively intervene on on against those things there has to be some dividing line and, and, and the reason I like genes uh, uh, and I, I mean mr. Roddenberry's uh, perspective of the fact was that if a society gets to a point where they've developed a warp capable civilization Therefore, they must at least have gone through enough trials and tribulations to be aware of the consequences of, you know, their actions. So up until that point, you have to have, you know, something that that's defined you as a society. 
Well, sure. I I, I think though, as as a game mechanic, a rule like that is can create fun. But having the ability to step around that rule or to have a conflict between Galactic Empire that does obey that rule and that doesn't, you know, I think that presents interesting gameplay options. Even in No Man's Sky, there's some sort of, you know, robotic force that comes in and beats the crap out of you if you kill too many random aliens. I mean, so there's a version of that in No Man's Sky. They'll apparently, you know, let you get away with it or there won't be severe enforcement if you kill a couple of them, but it ramps if you start doing something terribly exploitive. So, I mean, as a gameplay mechanic, I think the concept is is fun, but I think there should also be opportunities to ignore it or try to get away with it, even though that that, uh, that rule exists. Well, yeah. there. I mean, even in the uh, episodes of TOS and TNG and all that, there were people that tried to get uh, circumvent the Prime Directive all the time. And, and even the... Captain Kirk. <laughs> yeah. Every time he kissed an alien. Uh, well... <clears throat> <laughs> but um, but even so, there was still a moral discussion on it. There was still somebody that you, uh, as Captain Picard, you know, would, would talk to Counselor Troy and say, you know, I, I, I'm having a hard time with the Prime Directive in this, inst- in, in this uh, situation because I, I just don't see it. And shouldn't we all be doing that? Shouldn't the games be doing that as well? Making you, you know, really, really think about. Oh, yeah, I agree. Totally. Well, now you know our thoughts on it, we want to hear yours. So this week's community question. Is there value in having a gameplay mechanic that sees players forcing the advancement of primitive aliens, or is the current leave-them-be-or-plunder-them gameplay mechanic sufficient? Let us know your thoughts, send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com, or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback and let you join in the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! Some say he once went swimming naked in Scotland, and that now, as a result, we have the legend of the Loch Ness Monster. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Does introducing eSports aspects in the open universe space sims increase playability and press for games, or does it merely suck development resources away from producing quality content to fill the larger universe? Your responses were... Ah, well... Um, I guess what that means is that we covered the topic thoroughly and completely, and uh, everyone was satisfied with the discussion. Isn't that right, Jeff? I have to agree. I mean, we did a very bang-up job there and, clearly, and knocked it into clearly. the hoop and scored a goal. Yep. and We scored a hat-trick touchdown in the third period uh, with a home run. That's what we did, man. I wasn't even here last week, and I have nothing to add. Good deal. In general feedback, then, first verse problem says, Hey, guard freak. We need pokey puns of some pokey fun pictures of Pokemons in space games. Hashtag contest idea. Oh, no. First, first problems. <laughs> we hired no. you so that your crazy nutball ideas would no. not make it out into the public anymore without approval. Have Jeez. I come across yet? No. <laughs> well, there's a strong veto there from Jeff. Ken from Chicago writes and says, Great episode, Jeff, for the win. Sorry, new guy, but semi-weekly is twice a week. Bi-weekly is once every two weeks. Otherwise, good job. Thought there was something wrong with that. Eleanor yeah. Rebel writes in and says, Follow the money, in quotes, is a Hollywood excuse and reason we get bland creatively for ref tripe. They should stick to their vision they sold. Mr. Forkbeard says, Always did love listening to the show during slow work periods, smiley face. 
really appreciated when they branched out from just Star Citizen to SC slash ED slash I colon B slash D colon U and others. And Mandreas 3 replies to Mr. Forkbeard says me too. Despite being a nut for all things Star Citizen, I'm also interested and love the coverage on various other space sims. Cranium says one of the best SC podcasts around for grown-ups by grown-ups. Has he listened to the actual show? <laughs> I don't, I don't think, think so. so. No, I don't. <laughs> clearly not. Roland Badger says Badger science is best science. Here, here, <laughs> Mr. Badger. Here, here. I, you know that um, was strange because I, I could have swore that Badger looked suspiciously like you, Tony. Uh, it's you know it's me without a shave and with different glasses. So clearly I need to shave and get new glasses. And finally, Sean Newboy writes in and says, Great job, everyone. Well, thank you, Sean Newboy. Now, as far as feedback goes, that was it. But uh, we heard from one Joe Thomas who had an uh, interesting idea for us. And I would like to counter offer, sir. You write us a, a paragraph of one of your accomplishments. Send it into feedback and we'll read it next week. If we like it, you're hired. And this week's community question, is there value in having gameplay mechanic that sees players forcing the advancement of primitive aliens? Or is the current leave them be or plunder them gameplay sufficient? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So how is the show? Enlightened and sufficiently advanced enough or should we really start back with the basics like fire and wheel? Either way, let us know. Here's how you get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on the show's post over at guardfrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, you can shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us will be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 128 of Guard Frequency. Tony, Jeff, and Ostron will be back with episode 129 on July 26th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows over at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 4 a.m. GMT. Note that time change. We no longer have to satisfy the sleep needs of a British person. <laughs> so inconvenient. Do you like what we do? You want to help us make the best space sim podcast ever? Apparently we're losing a host. Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope you consider making a regular contribution to the show. The more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call signs section for details on how you can play with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Shubri bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Jordan edwards our staff writers, Jace Pentad and Kinshadow, our producer, Jeff Grant, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. 
But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. And we'll be lonelier without you here every week, Lennon. Hashtag Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, we... It's going to be great. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Make the mistakes now. Yep, get them out of the way. It'll all be good. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, we're going to get letters for that. I can tell. Oh, no, no, no. Hold on. No, we're not even going there. Mikey, that gets cut. (laughs) No, no, no. You can you can put that in the blooper reel if you want to, including the part where I say no, that gets cut. <laughs> yeah, I, not going there. We're, we're not going there. We're going to get letters and we're going to get investigated. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, we're the damn sure. That's for damn sure. Whether these point to some alien menace yet unknown, but Koresh, a stop. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Whether these point towards the Thargoids or some other alien menace yet unknown, uh, that, you missed these. I got go, Jeff. I hang on. <laughs> What are the, I get your broadcast glasses. I have them on. I'm just trying to figure out how to read the sentence, but add it, uh, read it right. Whether these point are, towards the Thargoids okay. or some other alien menace as yet unknown. But Koresh, a streamer... Is yet unknown. Huh? Is yet unknown. Oh. Let's do this. Whether... Sh- don't. It, don't. Somebody, stop. Somebody make it stop. 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 Yes, go. Stop. Go. I'm going to go. I'm going to stop. Okay, now I'm stopping. I've made two changes. Now I'm stopping. Whether these point towards the Thargoids or some other alien menace as yet unknown, but... Is yet... Un- it's Is that, yet it's unknown. The verb. That, didn't I say that? All right, fine. No, you said as. Oh. There's only one verb in the I sentence, see, and it's I, is. You kind of rushed it there at the very, end. Oh, yeah, well, I was. I could see the time <laughs> it was going three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well done, well done. Thank you. Basically, if you find a species that can't travel in Ellerstander... Basically, if you can't find species that can't travel in interstellar yeah, space, you find a species. Ah, right. We get bland creativity. Benef- <laughs> we get bland creativity. Bereft tripe. <laughs> You're gonna get there, man. Uh, no. Wenga manga. Wenga manga. I know. Can't uh-huh. say creativity. Creatively. 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 There we go. There it is. Bland creativity. (laughs) (laughs) Creativity. We found it. We found it. Uh, We found it. Follow the money is a Hollywood excuse and reason we get bland creatively bereft tripe. They should no. It's spreading. Okay. Um, they should. Jeff stick. has managed to say creatively ex- uh, correctly once. I'm sure I can splice it in. It, it's going to sound a little bit robotic, but follow the money is an excuse and reason we get bland creatively. Bereft tribe. They should stick to that. <laughs> you work magic, man. Yeah, I'm sure you'll make it, it it'll be good. fine. Just it'll read. Be fine. So that's what happens in Britain at seven twenty in the morning. In case you're curious. <laughs>